And welcome back to the Boken Life Podcast. Today we have got one of the most sensual, thoughtful, and well-descriptive writers I've ever met. Not only is that, she's got a fantastic sense of humor, and I cannot wait to share you with her, because she's going to be here talking to us, and uh, trust me, there's no bigger honor. But before that, I have to remind you to check out The Shadow by Marianne Curley, the fourth book in her Time Guardian series. I have done her blur for a couple of these episodes, but we've decided just to say title and uh, to check it out, as it is a fantastic read and a love story that's set in time itself. So, with that being said, let's introduce Marie Force. Hi there. <laughs> so, I have to ask... How did you come up with your crime? I mean, detective. Oh, she was amazing. I just have so many words for her. But how did you come up with that whole concept? Because it was it was sexy and it was just well balanced. It wasn't too sexy. It wasn't too crime. How did you do that? Um, so you're talking about the Fatal series. Um, yep. And Sam Holland, who's my um, detective female detective who's involved with a um, politician um, while leading the homicide division in Washington, DC. And that came from a story I read in the Washington post actually about a um, member of Congress who was found dead in his home, his DC area home. And I just wondered, you know, like who would have jurisdiction over that? And I dug in a little deeper and if it's inside the, the district of Columbia, DC, then it would be the metropolitan police department. And, um, so it kind of like took off from there, like, um, the opening of fatal affair, which is book one in the series is where, um, a chief of staff finds a Senator dead in his DC home. And when Sam arrives on the scene, she sees that the chief of staff is her one night stand from six years earlier, who for a variety of reasons, she never saw again, even though they both very much wanted to see each other. And so that's kind of how the series started. And then it sort of took off from there. And there are 16 books in that series. And now um, just today I'm writing book three of a spinoff series that features Sam and Nick still in the lead roles of that, of that series. So 18 books later. By far, because I mean, I've, I've read a lot of crime being in the UK. It's, it's one of the, most popular genres that that's around. Um, so I'd read a lot of different crime. And then somebody handed me um, your first book and said, you got to try this. It's <laughs> you. And I wasn't really sure what they meant by that. And then I sat and I read it and I just devoured it within a few days. And I was like, ah, okay. I see what they mean. Cause at that time I was, I was writing myself. And I was writing my own series, which is slightly erotic. I never go into the complete erotica, but that series was based on just complicated lives. And they were saying, if you want the perfect example on how to balance a book, you had to check out Marie Force. Oh, well, thank you for that. uh, Actually, I believe it was a Harlequin editor that gave it to me. Um, Um, It was originally published by Harlequin, yes. So that's yes. that's where it came from, yeah. And I just, <laughs> I just fell in love with it. And every time a new one came out, I made sure for Christmas time, my mother in law 
would get it after I'd read it. Um, and she read every single one of them and she stacked them up in her dining room. <laughs> Um, till, till my niece was born and then they got hidden, uh, simply because she didn't want her to read anything that wasn't for her age group. So yeah, yeah. it was, it was, yeah. it was no, I mean, like, um, it's not like, it's not super erotic. I mean, it's a, they have yeah. a very sexy relationship, but, um, and I guess really the balance comes in like, in asking like, you know, what keeps the readers coming back for, um, more of a series featuring the same main couple in every book. And I was actually told by a former editor way back when that it's simply not done in romance. And I said, well, maybe it's not done yet, but that doesn't mean it can't be done. And she said, no, it's not something that anyone's going to want. And in fact, when we tried to sell fatal affair into traditional publishing, um, back when that was the only Avenue, um, everyone wanted a different couple in book two um, except for I had already written book two, which is Fatal Justice, um, because I still had a full-time job and I had two young kids. And and all I kept thinking of is if I'm going to sell this book and then have to write another one right on top of it, that's going to be a problem. So yeah. um, I had already written book two and I just didn't see it that way. Like, um, you know, they wanted Freddie to have his own book in book two or something like that and him be the lead of the second book. And it's just not how I saw it. Um, at that time, uh, writing was still something I was doing for fun. I had a full-time job. And um, so, you know, if it's not fun, then kind of what's the point? So yep. I said, no, I, I wasn't willing to reconfigure uh, the series. And so it became a tough sell for that reason. Um, even though, you know, when you look at the in-death books, um, the J.D. Robb, uh, Nora Roberts books, um, you know, even Rourke is one of the most enduring romances in all of popular fiction. However, those books are... Um, shelved under um, mystery and thriller and not romance. So um, at that yeah. time, having, you know, it would have been like 20, 2008, 2009, trying to sell a series, a romance series that had the same couple in every book was just a non-starter. Um, yeah. And then I, mean, I, was, I heard I, that too. Yeah. And when I sold it, uh, it to Harlequin, it actually went to Karina Press, which was their new digital line, which, you know, and, yep. and Karina was taking some, um, you know, some risks and doing some things that were considered different at the time. And so uh, Fatal was actually a good fit for them for that reason. Um, but it was a tough sell because people wanted, you know, the traditional romance series where there's a new couple in every book and, you know, they get there happily ever after. And then you go on to another couple. Um, but that's not how I saw this series. And I'm really glad that I stuck with um, my original plan for the series because it, it did, it has become um, very popular and a lot of readers love it. And, um, you know, the reason they keep coming back for more is because they love the romance between Sam and Nick. It's not even so much about, um, you know, how she solves a different murder in every book or, you know, his political career is taken off at light lightning speed and all this stuff. It's not even a, like, that's all secondary. Yeah, um, right. yeah. you know, they, they are growing a family in an unconventional way. They are, you know, dealing with a lot of things coming at them all the time. And um, the fact that, you know, all the conflict in that series is external to them um, yeah. is something that I think people really appreciate that their relationship is very solid. And um, yeah. And I, I think that too, that you've got so many moments of, is she going to get herself out of this or is <laughs> she going to get them both out of this? That fearlessness, <laughs> I think, yeah, and I think the fearlessness of her and the way that she is 
as a fiery, feisty character is actually probably a big part of why people love the book series as well, because there's not that many really feisty female characters that just grab you by almost your neck and say, hey, you know, you're coming through this with me. Yeah, she's, um, um, she's definitely unique in that way. She um, she takes no prisoners. Um, she doesn't care who she has to roll over to get justice for her victims. Um, she has absolutely no <clears throat> concern about her own personal safety. Um, she does worry about that of her team, however, but not herself, um, which is a constant source of, um, I guess, strife, if you will. If there is any strife in her relationship with Nick, it's that her job is dangerous and she doesn't, she seems to be the only one who doesn't realize that. <laughs> um, do even though her father is little... quadriplegic after oh, being okay. wounded yeah, on the job. Yeah, that's right. That is right. So um, there's like living, breathing proof right in her life that the job is dangerous. Um, so yeah, I mean, she's, she's just kind of like, um, I like to describe her as um, the Estelle Getty character on the Golden Girls. She's like a stroke, uh, a stroke victim who's had, uh, you know, some sort of incident where every thought she has in her head comes out her mouth, whether it should or shouldn't. You know, so I actually love that. I love the the no filter because I grew up uh, no filter, to which my my mother, uh, my grandmother, and my father would just sort of look on and shock her as I would come out with some yeah. singer of a comment. And I have uh, a daughter like that too. She has no filter, so I'm not sure where she gets that from, but. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's uh, taking me, some like, of Sam with her. <laughs> yeah. Well, people ask me like what character of mine is the most like me. And it's definitely Sam. Um, yeah. I do have a, I do have somewhat of a filter, but Sam has none. Um, and yeah. I think that's one of the things people love about her. And um, like, I like at the end of fatal affair where, you know, Nick's con- contemplating a big move in his career and she's trying to tell him like, she's like the worst possible person he could be taken with him on this ride because of all of her failings. Like, you know, her propensity to occasionally lie when it suits her purposes, <laughs> you know, yeah. her, um, her saucy mouth, her, you know, all of her bad habits. And, um, but he's, he's smitten. So. <laughs> oh, he is. He is. Yeah. Would you like to yeah, tell us a little bit friend. about this? But, uh, yeah. Sorry. Would you no, like to I tell us gonna... about the spinoff and, and what that's going to be involving? So the and... spinoff, in order to tell you about the spinoff, I have to give away some very big things about what happens in the Fatal series. So let's just suffice to say that Nick's career really takes off <laughs> in ways that um, they never see coming. And um, the new um, the new series is a continuation of Fatal. It picks right up where Fatal leaves off. And um, I'll let you get to Fatal Fraud, which is book 16 in the Fatal series. And then you can see what happens. Um, and go from there. I don't want to give away too much about what happens at the end of fatal fraud. Um, and I realized, you know, just the, the title that I gave the new series is a giveaway. So, <laughs> ah, so you're like, Oh no, can't say that. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like it really was the only name I could give the series, but, um, yeah, things really go crazy for them. Um, in, in a very short amount of time too, like over a period of two years, um, things really go from zero to 90 for them. And, um, and the thing I think the readers like is how they just remain true to themselves and their relationship is always the most important thing and, um, their family. And even though the world around them is going mad, um, they are pretty solid in the middle of it all. And, um, that's the thing that, um, is the most fun to write. And, um, 
you know, their romance is still um, smoking hot. And I said 18 books, but I guess I'm working on the 19th full length book right now in their story. Oh, wow. That, so that um, is I can't amazing. do basic math like like Sam can't either. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I had noticed that when she was doing the homework section, I thought I kind of fell for it because I'm like, I can't do the math either. No, it's... she can't do math. Math is not my thing either. And um, it's not Scotty, their son's thing. And um, yeah, so they're fun to write for sure. Yeah, they are. So what um, books have you read recently that's really stuck with you? If you've been doing any sort of reading for yourself? Well, mostly I've been reading um, nonfiction in preparation for writing more. And this is going to give, if I tell you what kind of nonfiction I've been, it'll give away what happens in the series. But um, <laughs> so I've been reading a lot of nonfiction about um, things that I need to know more about in order to write the um, spinoff series. Um, right. At book three, there are a few things coming up that I needed to know more about. So I've been doing a lot of that. And I do, you know, I have to reread a lot too of my own stuff just to make sure that I'm keeping the consistency. I've got one series, my Gansett Island series. I just finished the 25th book. So I'm reading wow. books 23 and 24 right now just to make sure, you know, I've got everything straight. Um, and then I have to go back and read book two in the first family series to make sure that I'm straight for book three. I mean, like that's <laughs> what I do. It's like this never yeah. ending. Um, so I don't get to read a lot for quote unquote fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I can't even tell you the last time I read something that wasn't research or one of my own books. I, I literally don't remember the last book I read that wasn't one of my own or um, something for research purposes. Boring. Well, if you had the time and you could sit and enjoy a book or a novel series or an author who would you pick well i i always go back to my favorite is lisa klepas who she's my favorite romance author um her historicals are so awesome i just love them i go back and reread them a lot um she's kind of like my go-to um for when i need something you know that i know is going to be great and that um i just love her books and i've i've been reading some old nora roberts lately too just old stuff of hers that i hadn't read before just once in a while though. But I'm, I really like when I say like, I think I've been reading a Nora Roberts, one of her books for like three months, like a chapter here and a chapter there, just because I have so many yeah. other things I have to be doing. So oh no, I just, understand that, you know, it's, it's part of the writer's life is sometimes you just don't get to sit and enjoy something. If you've got sort of edits and then you're doing another book and you're yeah. just trying to like keep it all balanced. I, and I, I'm working on my, um, this is my 90, I think my 93rd book. Um, and I spend my days immersed in romance. And so I, I find myself staying away from it in my um, own oh, time, sure. just because it feels like work almost, you know, so I've been reading, I read yeah. a lot of nonfiction, I read a lot of memoirs. Um, you know, so I kind of like, I've really almost not stopped reading romance, but just, I read much less of it than I used to. So here's a tougher question. Is there an author, past and present, whose influence inspired and made you excited about books and reading? Definitely, um, I wanted to do when I was much younger. I'm not so, like, I haven't read her in years, but I uh, read Danielle Steele's books um, when, when yeah. I was younger. My mom and I used to share them, and um, I haven't read her in years, but um, I, her earlier books were just really, like, that's kind of what I wanted to do. So yeah, it's really inspiring as when you're looking at it and you think, wow, I want to write stuff like this. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I like her earlier books, some of them like 
um, I can still remember reading like season, season of passion. And, um, now, um, what was the other one that I really loved? Um, Oh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was like this older guy married to this young woman from Europe. And, um, I can't even remember it. And fine things was one of the other ones that I loved. Um, but just, you know, some of the really like one, some of her earlier books, I, and I just like fell out of the habit of reading her. Um, but I still love those earlier books of hers. I haven't read them in years, but I still remember them. And so like that, you know, that's the sign of an author that inspired you. If like, you know, 30 years later, you can, or even more, probably more like 40 years later, you can still remember, you know, what the story was about and stuff like that. Well, exactly. So when you go to a bookstore, what aisle are you most drawn to? So I haven't been in an actual bookstore in, I don't even know how long. Uh, I'm a complete digital reader. Um, and like I said, it's mostly these days memoirs and nonfiction for me. Well, that's good. Yeah. If you could go back in time, where would you go? When would you go and why? I have no idea. I'm not a time traveler. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's always a question I throw in just for fun to see what people have to say. See, I was born without any suspension of disbelief at all. So yeah. Yeah. Like I tried to watch Outlander and I was just like rolling my eyes to high heaven. I just couldn't (laughs) do it. I had moments of that, but that was basically because the Scottish was annoying me. I'm like, get it right for the right area. Like my, my son and I, my son is the same way I am. We're both very much realists, you know, and like very like, like, I don't know. We don't have that like fantasy button. You know, we tried to, he and I tried to read Harry Potter together so many times and we would like be laughing madly by the end of the first chapter going, yep, nope, not for us. You know? <laughs> like, just, but that's good because it shows that you guys have something that you share in common with each other. Oh, we so. definitely do. We, he and I both like, we'll look at each other and be like, that could not happen, you know? And then it kind of ruins it for us, you know? Cause like, we're so like caught up in the reality of things, you know? We're both, um, um, yeah. I am a trained reporter and he is in graduate school to become a reporter. And so oh, I think that's yeah. part of it is like, you know, the facts, stick to the facts. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Has there ever been a book that you wished you'd never picked up? Sure. There's been tons of them. I mean, like I have, I, I don't finish more books than I finish. I think, you know, I just, it, mm-hmm. my feeling is if something's not grabbing me, like right from the beginning, I don't, I don't continue with it. Like I yeah. just go on to the next one. So yes, there have been many. <clears throat> So coming into your writing style, there's been a lot of characters within your sort of your failed series and your other series. Is is there a particular way that you go about creating the darker elements in your story and the darker characters? Um, there's not like any particular way that it's done. I usually bring that in as needed and um, I don't plan a lot of things in advance. And so everything sort of that you see on the page is kind of happening in the moment. Um, yeah. So no, there's not like a special process for that. It's just all part of the overall story. I think that's really cool. And particularly for me when I'm having to do dark elements, I have to like sit for a while and just almost let my brain pick it apart. Like pick apart, like how am I going to do this and stuff? 
mm-hmm. and that's how I go about it. Um, which, which is, I think, the weirdest way. I've not heard of anybody else doing it that way. So yeah, I mean, everybody's process is different, and um, yeah, you know, there's no right way or wrong way. There's just your way. Um, but for me, it's just it kind of unfolds as needed. Yeah, and I mean that makes that makes a lot of sense. What inspired you to pick the type of romance that you've had the most success in? To pick that kind? Yeah, like what what drew you to writing, whether it was the Fatal series or your Island series? Like what so I just, made I like you want to do that? Contemporary romance mostly because, again, going back to the fact that, you know, I have no suspension of disbelief buttons. So like paranormal would not be a good fit for me. Fantasy nope. would not be a good fit for me. Um, contemporary is, you know, it's just where my, my, um, it's just where my groove is, I guess you could say, um, I've written a couple of historicals that were fun to do. Um, but I'm not in any great rush to write more of them. Um, I really like just writing modern day stuff. Um, I wrote a series in Vermont that is going to actually end in January. Um, it started with Green Mountain and evolved into Butler when I left the original publisher, um, Butler, Vermont. And in that series, there's, um, there's not good, um, um, there's no cell phone service in this, in the town. So that was kind of a fun contemporary twist. You know, everybody's got cell phones except for in this town there. And it's very true to the fact that in the real life town that this series is based on, there is no cell service. So, um, in Vermont, there's often spots where there's no cell service and the town of Weston, Vermont, where the original, um, Green Mountain Country Store, um, though it's the Vermont Country Store, but my version is Green Mountain, is located. There's no cell service. So it was kind of a fun thing to bring into a contemporary series of, you know, where everyone has cell phones now um, yeah. for this cast of characters to not even bother having them most of the time because they can't use them where they live. So that's kind of a and fun twist. That is twist a good a, twist, yeah. Yeah. It, it's weird because when I grew up in Shetland, we were like the last to get internet and we were like the last to get cell phones because mm-hmm. there was no tires. So I grew up with, I didn't get like a cell phone till I was 13. And then I was like, what do I do with this? It doesn't work half the time. <laughs> so it just lay in my backpack. And it wasn't until I was like 18, 19 that I was like, oh, I could actually use this because yeah. they put up cell towers and I had no idea. So well, that's what happened I totally in the series. get that. As they drive out of the mountains, the cell phones come to life, you know, and um, they always have like voicemails and texts that they've missed because they've been in this dead zone, you know. So it was and then there's like two or three places in the town where you actually have cell service. So people tend to go there when they need it, you know, and so it's kind of like a funny little, (laughs) I don't know, twist on modern life. But to me, like writing contemporary is 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 where it's at for me. And like it, it is the more the most popular um kind of romance too it really is you know so i think it's because we can almost slip into that skin of you know that could be our everyday lives like you can almost imagine yourself in that role Mm -hmm. as a reader and i think that's why a lot of us choose that yeah and and also like even for the fatal series even though it's romantic suspense it's still set in contemporary time Mm -hmm. so um you know it's uh it's it's still contemporary, even though it's romantic suspense. Yeah, and I think it it was so well done because she, there's like a lot of people that might have used olden day techniques for particularly the police work and stuff. 
And I just thought yours was spot on the entire time. And I really enjoyed that. And I, I liked that you'd taken the time to put it in. Whereas like a lot of romance books, they kind of like brush over that mm-hmm. and move along. But, but I loved how you put that detail in. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I do try to keep it as real as I can. Um, all of my series, you know, I try to keep it close to reality. I mean, there's a few little, you know, you take a few little licenses here and there. Like I have a twist in the upcoming Gansett Island book that might maybe not actually happen in real life, but it it worked in this context, you know, and um, and it worked for what I needed to have happen. And, you know, so sometimes like you can take a little liberty and something maybe is not exactly how it would have happened in real life, but um, it works for the story. So do you think you'll be trying any other kinds of romance in the future? Or do you think you're sticking in contemporary? No, I'm going to stick with what works um, for me. Um, I definitely am interested in writing more um, suspenseful kind of stuff and, um, you know, doing more like that. Um, I have another suspense book called The Wreck, which is a, it was a single title that I did in like 2000. I think I wrote it in 2007 and released it in 2011. And it's definitely one of my most popular standalone books. Um, And it's very suspenseful as well. And um, I wrote that actually before I wrote Fatal Affair. I sort of, that was like my training wheels for writing suspense. And the readers love that book. So I'd like to do some more like that, I think, um, down the road, some more. But I've got so many series going right now that it's kind of hard to find room for anything else. I'm writing five different series right at this moment. And I'm ending one of them in January, but I've already got already got an idea for another one. So it's like a the series thing is kind of like a bit of a sickness for me. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that because I don't know about you, but do you find it hard to like close a book and sort of say goodbye to the characters for good? Oh, for sure. Away? I mean, I'm having like a real struggle with um, my readers do not want me to end this Vermont series that I'm ending in January, but I really feel like it's kind of run its course and. Um, There is other stuff I want to do. And so it's more about like, you know, um, kind of freeing up some space in my schedule to do some new things. But yet, you know, these last couple of the the books are having these like great releases and making, you know, the bestseller lists and doing great. And so I sort of wonder if I'm crazy to end it, but um, I'd rather go out when it's on top than, um, you know, drag it along. (laughs) Yeah, you, you have to follow your gut. And, and that's what I loved about Rachel Kane. She was a fantastic author for just following her gut, even when people were telling her she was crazy and it wouldn't work. Um, she did an amazing series called Bitter um, Bitter, Fall, for, uh, Bitter Falls. It's a hard word to say. <sighs> Bitter Falls. And that was her. Like They told her she was crazy to jump from YA and into crime and uh, she did it so well and I'm so glad she stuck with her gut and I see a lot of authors now that are running with their guts and are less caring about well what's on top and what's not and it's now about what they want to write and that passion is really feeding into the readers again well you have to you have to be interested in what if you're going to spend months writing something like it has to really grab you you know Um, I always say that like the first customer is me. I have to, you know, make myself happy with whatever it is. And if I, trusting my gut is, means that I've made myself happy with a book, which means I'm probably going to make my readers happy with it. 
Um, so yeah. that's, um, that's always the goal. You know, you're like, you're like reader number one is you. And, um, if you have a feel for what they like from you and you're giving them that repeatedly, then that's a good way to build a career, you know? Yeah, exactly. So when you put your stories together, you say that you write sort of as it's happening. So is it more like a movie for you or is there a slight jigsaw puzzle that you're almost putting together as you're writing it? Um, no, it's not. It's definitely not like a movie. I never think about my characters as real people. Um, it's one of like in my reader groups, it's one of their favorite things to do is to imagine, you know, who would be cast as various characters. And I never think of them that way. Um, very rarely do I ever think of them that way. Um, for me, it's just like, I always have, I always have like a one sentence idea of where a book is going when I start it. And then I kind of like let it unfold from there. Um, and it's, there's not a lot of pre-planning, although this new series that I want to write is going to take quite a lot of pre-planning, um, that I'm going to probably have to do before I, if I do, if I go in that direction or not. Um, but for the most part, I let everything unfold organically on the page. My new Wild Widow series that just debuted in February, I had this big idea that last summer, because um, I have a boat and I was going to sit on the boat and outline all the various characters that were going to make up this group of widows that they call themselves the Wild Widows and they support their young widows. They support each other. And I ended up doing it right in the moment when I needed the characters. I didn't do anything in advance like I had hoped to do. I just... And I guess like that was my 90th book. And I guess like at that point, you just kind of have to trust the process that has already worked. Yeah, I know so. the feeling like I, I used to write that way. And then the more I sort of built different ideas and different series, I realized I actually had to plan a lot of my stuff because if I didn't, I would almost forget. Like by the time I would say, okay, I'm not writing that right now. I have to write this. So I'll have to like put a pin in it. But for me, I had to write it out so that I didn't lose it so that I could go back to it. Yeah. So a lot of, um, that's what a lot of my rereading is about, is about refreshing my memory about my thoughts on the next book and, you know, going back yeah. to, um, getting back in that headspace to start writing in that world again. So. Do you make notes as you write sort of like when you're reading it back to yourself, do you make notes and say, okay, well I could pull this into book the next book or. Yeah, sometimes like I'll do that like in the file itself. Like I don't really, I don't keep like notebooks or anything like that. I have it like right in the actual file. I'll make a note in there, like carry this over to the next book or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I I do that myself, but I do it like my notebooks are awful. If if a publisher ever got a hold of my notebooks, they'd kill me because I write little notes almost over the top of the bullet points. Ah, this, This needs to be threaded through into da 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 and I do that and my hubby looked at me one day and he goes you realize you write like a crazy person yeah <laughs> because see, I like, did I notes have really, everywhere I have a really intense writing schedule I have absolutely no time to go back and figure out something like that that would that would slow me down so for me yeah. it's all about keeping the pace going at a good clip and getting stuff done and not like, I'm really a fanatical about um, a first draft that could go right to editing if it had to. Um, yeah. You know, so I don't indulge in multiple drafts and stuff like that. I just don't have the time. Um, mm-hmm. If I'm going to keep up, you know, I've got like audio deadlines to meet and things like that. So I can't, 
I can't fool or like not in any way fool around with um, multiple drafts and things like that. Or, yeah. you know, trying to figure out where I left notes about something. I, I like that would make me nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling or my hubby, he has a terrible habit because I wake up in the middle of the night with an idea and I'll start making notes on it. And he just puts his arm over and says, sleep, like, you know, because <laughs> I've been bugging him. But one time I said, would you put a notebook away from me? And we have still not found said notebook, <laughs> which had an entire series in it. And I was like, ah, so I'm more careful with the notebooks now than I was yeah. before. <laughs> yeah. But I always make notes saying to every, you know, author, make sure you know where your husband's hiding the notebooks. Because yeah. that could be important. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Is there a character that has stayed with you the most or the longest? So probably Sam and Nick in the Fatal series. Cause like I said, I'm writing the 19th book that's in their, in yeah. their series. And um, so I've written them the most. And then also um, Mac and Maddie McCarthy in the Gansett Island series have appeared in all 25 books in that series. So those, those two couples are um, really kind of like at the center of everything in those two series. And um, so I've written them for, um, I started both of those series in 2006. So um, 16 years road, later, yeah. I'm still writing yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, it's a long, you know, it's almost like you've had a relationship with them since that that year all the way to now. They're very so, much yeah. real people to me at this point. Um, like I have had a relation, a 16 year relationship with them. And um, yeah. yeah, like I just started I, I writing, feel that um, way about mine as well. So I can understand yeah, I, I just started that writing, um, you know, getting really into going strong on um, the next um, Sam and Nick book. And it, you just pick it right up like like nothing ever happened because um, 16 years of writing them, 19 books, um, you know, they're like old friends by now. And I know what, what they would say and do in any situation. And so um, that makes it, quote unquote, easier to write them in that way. Is there a character you wish you could go back and maybe write more of that you maybe didn't get a chance to write? Um, I can't really think of any. Uh, maybe some of the characters from my singles that you know I wrote most of them years ago. Um, I I would like to add to my five years gone and one year home. Uh, that was a duo that I did in nineteen twenty nineteen and twenty, and I would like to do more in that world. But again, you know, it's time. I've got more I'd like to do in my quantum world, which ended um, in 20, I think either 19 or 20. Um, and so, yeah, there's like stuff that I would like to do more with. It's just time, you know, it's like I only have so many hours in the day and, you know, so I can't, totally understandable, yeah. I can't write as much as, you know, I write six or seven books a year and even that I still have more that I'd like to do, but, you know, obviously um that's that's a lot so <laughs> yeah it is it is a lot and that sort of dedication and time it's a lifestyle which I don't think a lot of people sort of realize and that that's another reason we do this show is because we're demything what authors lives are like I mean as you said you've you've got a family you spend time with them you have an entire life that's outside of of writing outside the books. Yeah. And- um, less so now that my husband and I are empty nesters. So um, our kids were just home <laughs> from New York and Boston this weekend. Um, yeah. And that's like not as common and frequent as it used to be. So, um, you know, they're 20 going to be 27 and 24 this year. So, um, 
they're quite a bit out of the nest, if you will. And so I have a lot more time to write now. Um, but I still, you know, there's only so much mental energy that you have in a day. And so my first goal every day is to write 2000 words before I do anything else. Um, it's I'm very, very fanatical about that. I do it almost seven days a week. Like I didn't do it yesterday because it was Easter and my kids were home and and I just finished a book, completely finished a book and sent it off to beta readers and stuff on Saturday. So I took Sunday off, but that's rare for me to not write anything at all. Yeah. Um, but I am very, very, very fanatical about those 2000 words a day, which really keeps me on that six or seven book a year schedule. And as and I think of what a lot of the readers don't actually kind of understand unless you have been in writing and you have had to do that is that you have to be very strict with yourself and your scheduling and your timing. And you have to be like, okay, I don't care what else I want to do right now. I'm going, you know, the house could be on fire, but you want to sit and write those 2000 words first. Yeah, You have to like, um, we rented a house in Florida this past winter and we had a bunch of friends come down and I told them all before they came, I, in the morning I'm writing 2000 words and then we can go to the beach or do whatever, but I got to get the words on the page. Like, and everyone who knows me knows that that's my routine. Um, yeah. so, um, it's been my routine for years and, um, like I, like I don't do anything in the morning most days besides that. And then after that, if once it's done, I can do whatever I want, but it's kind of like a rule that I stick to. Um, it and keeps it's a good me, one to have. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're self-employed, there's no boss there saying, Hey, you know, you got to get your work done or I'm going to fire yep. you, you know, like you don't have that. So you have to have that internal core of discipline, um, mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of people who like to talk about, you know, all the other stuff that goes along with writing books. And yes, there's a lot of it, um, especially most like I'm 100% indie indie published now. I was um, hybrid published, meaning with publishers and indie um, through 2020. And now I'm 100% indie, which is a good fit for me um, because I like to be able to control every aspect of it. Yeah, of course. You know, from the deadlines to the timing, to the release schedule, to the covers, to the audio narrators, to everything, you know. Um, But it's a lot of work, you know. It's a lot of like, and I have a great team supporting me and I'm very lucky to have them. Um, But the the number one thing that has to happen in order to keep the business moving forward is more words on the page. And there's literally nothing else um, that can substitute for that, like all the marketing in the world um, and all the time on TikTok or Facebook or Instagram or whatever, wherever is not going to replace, you know, more words on the page. And so that's exactly, that's where my priority is every day. And it never varies. I must admit, I've, I've had a, those arguments with marketing before saying, look, you know, I have to sit and I have to put the words on the page. Otherwise you don't have another book to promote. And I always find that frustrating almost when I worked with some of the, the publishers I did was was having them say, oh, you must do at least 12 interviews a month. And I'd be like, well, where do you expect me to fit in 12 interviews while I'm trying to, you know, edit a book, write a book and plan another book? It, You know, I have self-discipline, but I only have so much time. And I used to find that myself. It's sort of like a, an uphill battle. And I kind of like being an indie author because there's not that same amount of pressure on you. You can say, okay, I'm not well today, but I've written my words. I'm going to go and try and get 
better and then I will go back to it. Yeah, I, like I definitely see, think that there's there's more pressure on indie authors because we are doing everything ourselves. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I, I, I definitely think having done both for years that the indie is much more intense than traditional um, where you have a whole team of people at a publisher behind you and, you know, and you're not having to worry about lining up editors or, or cover designers or, you know, figuring out all the ins and outs of the audio and all of that. It's much more involved as an indie, I think. Um, but by the same token, you're also setting your own schedule, which is can be freeing um, in some ways. But if if I had a you know to decide which is more intense, the indie is definitely more intense, and it's not for everyone. I admit that it's definitely like not every author is um, predisposed to also running a um, 24-7, 365 international business, which is what we're doing. And um, you know, mm-hmm. I I oversee translations in multiple markets, um, indie indie translations in you know German and French and Italian and Portuguese and. You know, we have translators who work with us in all those different markets. It's a lot. It's a lot, a lot, yeah, a lot. And I'm lucky to have, um, in particular, two full-time employees who help me manage it all. Um, but, it, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to writing the books and, um, you know, all the shiny, fun things that go along with it. And most of it is fun to me. I like the marketing. Unlike some people, I do like the marketing. Um, you know, it, it comes second to the books. Yeah, it has to come second, and I think that mm-hmm. that really was my argument with them, um, you know. And I loved doing the book tours, and I loved meeting everyone. So, what was your um, motivation when you were working in COVID? Because I I know as writers, none of us stopped in COVID. I know a lot of us continued on. So, what was your motivation, and and how did you keep going when we were hit with the pandemic? To be honest with you, the pandemic did not change my routine that much because I've worked from home for 23 years, um, 10 of them for myself. Um, My kids came home. My adult kids came back home, which was great. Um, So it was more for me about juggling having extra people in the house again and uh, meals and whatnot like that. But to be honest with you, my routine did not change much during the pandemic because I was already working from home. and, um, And, you know, I had deadlines. I have employees. Uh, I have a payroll. Yep. I have readers who um, are excited about new books and who are waiting for more books. I have pre-orders that I've promised. Um, I have audio deadlines. I have narrators lined up to, you know, to um, narrate books and I have um, editors lined up to edit them. And so to me, it's like, I, there's no, I couldn't afford to like slow down at all. And why would I, I mean, you know, if anything, I picked up the pace a little bit. I, I released some books earlier than planned um, when people were in that first lockdown in 2020. In March of 2020, I released two books earlier than I had planned to, um, and my readers were very happy about that. So, yeah. um, really, I think we nothing... all relied on books during the pandemic. To be honest, yeah, nothing like nothing really changed for me except for, like I said, having my kids back home again, which, you know, was great. And we had a lot of fun. And I I hate to say that because I know it was such an awful time for so many people. And it was an awful time for so many people I knew um, who had it or lost somebody or um, whatever um, that happened during that time. But for me, the hardest part was having my kids home again and then having them leave again. Yeah. Um, 
because we got used to having them around again. And then it was like, we kind of went through the empty nest thing twice. Yeah. Um, We had successfully launched them both and then they came home Um, and they were home for months and we got used to all of us, the four of us being together again. And then we weren't. And that was, that was tough. Like having them leave again. My husband and I both recently had COVID. Um, We, we were diagnosed on April 1st, as was my son. Uh, our son. And um, he had a very mild case. My husband and I got hit pretty hard with it. And we were very thankful for vaccines and boosters because we feel like we would have probably been in the hospital without them. So we managed to avoid it for two full years. And then we caught it in our own house when our son came home from Boston and brought it home. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds about right, to be fair, because I did the first lockdown. I did it in Shetland and Shetland's only 60 miles long. So they actually stopped us traveling between the islands. So it made it even smaller. And my hubby had just come up from Glasgow. He'd never lived in an island community before or places rural as that. And uh, yeah, he got to know my parents really well because, you know, my mom was a care home worker and my dad worked at a marine sort of um, workplace. So it was weird because they had to keep taking time and then they just I left and I've been down here for a while and they've just both had COVID and even my dad said you know he's so grateful that he's had the vaccines because he would have been in hospital and my mom definitely yeah, we would think, be we think it would have been much death. worse if we hadn't had them so yeah and the thing is like I'm classed as high risk due to my health and you know it it was terrifying for me to get letters in through the door saying hey you know don't go to, you know, because I had gone back working with kids with um, learning disabilities and they were telling me, you know, you can't go to work because you're too high risk. You could, you could die. And I was like, oh, oh, OK. You know, but the yeah. writing I was doing kind of going to work and from work, I continued on. And I mean, I must admit, I kept writing during the pandemic and it was a drive for me almost. It was like I had to escape into a different world and that's yeah, what it allowed it was, me it to was do definitely i was glad to have the work to do and be able to do it from home and very thankful to run an online business that didn't require people to like you know i felt so much for the restaurant owners and the store owners yeah. and people who had to rely on people coming to their stores and whatnot um i was very lucky to be running an online business at that time um so uh, you know it was there was a lot of gratitude um, along with the sorrow of what was happening, you know, yeah. out around the world. And even, even now with what's happening in Ukraine, you know, it's, you have to kind of like put that over here because like, if you allow yourself to dwell too much in that space, it becomes very hard to write uplifting romance novels, you know? It, it is. Um, and that's what I was saying to my, to my mom, because I almost had to teach her what a writer's routine was. She'd never known it or experienced mm-hmm. it. So when I was living there, I was like, mom, if you if I'm on the computer and I'm writing, you cannot talk to me till I'm done because you will interrupt me and I, I, I'll lose whatever it is. So but it was good because it really forced me out of my comfort zone. And I actually tried different genres um, mm-hmm. and I actually went into I did my first draft of my crime novel and I ended up doing a dystopian. Two ideas I had never thought I'd write anything in. And all of a sudden that, you know, that's what happened because it was the week that that we went into lockdown in my small hometown, there was a murder. 
So it was like you're getting hit with COVID information and then you've also got the murder that happened, which never made mm-hmm. the big news. It was just like local news. So right. yeah, it, it it forced me to kind of think outside of what I had loved to do and I got to really experience something different. Yeah, it was it was definitely a crazy time for everyone and um I was thankful to have my usual routine to fall back on for sure. Yeah, it does. It does help. Is there um, a technique that you found helpful? And is there one that you've tried and you thought, oh, God, no, in writing style? No, I've kind of had the same writing style from the beginning. Um, I write linear, beginning, middle, end, um, letting it unfold on the page. I don't plot. Um, it's just kind of how it works for me. I, I went to a plotting workshop one time and literally it gave me hives because I was like, (laughs) am I supposed to be doing that? Yeah. And, um, I, I, it no joke gave me hives. Um, I had to leave because I couldn't believe like that, that was, I, I just, it just was so far removed from how I did it. Yeah. Um, but you know, like I said earlier, you have to be true to the process that works for you and not really worry too much about what other people are doing. So what's in your general. thoughts on the fact that a lot of the the people that are starting to write or want to learn to write, they're going to all these courses and classes, in a sense, to teach them to write? I mean, whatever helps somebody go from a blank page to a non-blank page, I mean, I'm all for it. Like, yeah. Whatever works, you know. Um, I can only say that... To me, like, the journey of a million miles starts with mile one, and it's the same with um, you know, the journey of a million words starts with the first word on the page. And a lot of people are very interested, I find in how to get published and how to Mm -hmm. get a book, you know, printed and all of those things. But they're like, and I'll say to them, okay, so what have you written? And they're like, oh, well, I haven't written anything yet. I'm just curious about how it all works. And it just always amuses me because without the book, there's nothing to publish. So, um, the writing part, I, as I tell them, like, you know, writers actually write. We don't just talk about it. You yes. know, so. I mean, that that's what everyone like kind of looked at me crazy because the first thing I did was I actually just wrote. I just constantly was writing for when I was young. And then a, an author tapped me on the shoulder one day and said, you really should be publishing. But I had no clue about the publishing industry at all. And it was almost like. I I was fumbling in the dark because I had no clue. I was like, I was just this person who loved to write really good stories, really in-depth, detailed stories. And it was like, well, which publishers can you trust? And what does all these terms mean? And it was almost like a, a new education for myself all over again, because it was just so different. It was such like a different... Yeah, and all world. of that information is widely available um, in author groups, I have one on Facebook, the Author Support Network, and yeah. um, you know, there's all sorts of groups out there that support authors learning. Yeah, I they wish need I'd know. known that. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. wish I'd known that. Well, I mean, it depends on when you started, because like when I started, you know, I was one of the first people I knew of to indie publish um, back in the fall of 2010. I mean, I'm sure other people had done it before me, and I know they have, but I didn't know of them. I knew of a couple. Um, and I was one of the first people I knew of who was doing it while under contract to traditional publishers too. Um, so there was a lot of thorny issues involved in that. Like, you know, will you get sued and all this stuff? And, um, 
there was absolutely no support network at all um, for authors. And um, since then, a big one has a big um, know, cottage industry of support has has grown up around yeah. the industry. And um, people coming into it today are very fortunate to have those resources because um, that was not the case when I was first doing it. Or, you know, there was like a handful of people I knew who were doing it. And we kind of like consulted each other. It was like, well, what do you think of this cover? And what do you think of, you know, yeah. um, should I do this or should I do that? And asking my agent at the time, like, am I going to get sued if I indie publish at the same time that I've got contracts with traditional publishers? And she didn't know because there was no language in traditional contracts at that time to address indie publishing. No. So it was all very, it was very difficult back in the beginning of it. And it became less so. Um as we all went forward and there's just so many resources and so many people teaching classes and so many yeah, groups it is. on it's Facebook huge. that there's no, there's no really no need to quote unquote pay for like college classes on how to publish or anything like that. Cause that information is so readily available um, to anyone who, who really seriously wants to get it now. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's become a whole, it's a whole different world than it was 12 years ago um, when I first was involved in indie publishing and when most of the authors I know who were starting out at that time were involved in it. Um, there was no help of any kind except for among ourselves. Yeah, because I mean, now it, was, it was 13 like, years ago that I started into this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I knew of Sun Hand Publishing and I was dyslexic, so I didn't understand a lot of, you mm-hmm. know, you need an editor but you have to pay for an editor and this is why, you know, there was like so many things yeah. I had to learn on my own because there wasn't. Yeah, we all did. That's yeah. the thing. We all had to figure it out. And um, like, I'm still working with the same editor that I started out with in 20, 20 2009 when I was first wow. thinking about indie publishing. I'm still working with her. Um, I had you know, to everybody retire. To, every so. single indie published author has to set up their own team and, yep. Um, figure out all the ins and outs of everything. And, um, you know, but there's a ton of resources out there for anybody yeah. looking to get into. And I would uh, say Fiverr is a good place to start now because Fiverr's got editors on there. They've got book cover artists on there. I'm not familiar with that. Oh, you never come across Fiverr? Mm-mm. It's, it's literally like a go-to place where they have, all the editors that are looking for work, translators that are looking for work. What's the name of it again? Fiverr. F-I-V-E-R. Nope, never heard of it. But it's a great one because actually a friend of mine said, well, you know, you're writing again. You're going back to writing and you need an editor. So try this site, see if you find someone. And they do samples and they show you how good or how bad they are. And then you get a chance to work with them. And I, I see if I hadn't found that lately, I think I would have gone insane. Cause I, as I said, I had two editors retire on me. Uh, one of them completely just said, Luke, I can't sit at a computer anymore. So I'm done. Well, I'm glad so that, my that you found something that works for you, but I would al- always, almost always recommend getting a recommendation from somebody who has had a good experience with an editor yeah. um, or a cover designer um, rather than trying somebody cold, um, that it can be very risky because yes, you're giving can. somebody on the internet, you're giving them your book, um, you know, without a personal recommendation, I would find that to be very nerve wracking personally. Yeah. And that was the thing, you know, I had 
a link straight to the new editor I have. And I was so relieved because I was like, okay, recommendation from an editor I know, recommendation for an editor who can handle my severe dyslexia, but without crippling me. And it was, it was nice. Um, so we are going into the last portion of our podcast where we talk about your life. I think we've kind of covered a little bit of it, but what's the first thing you do when you're de-stressing from editing and writing? Um, I like to walk my dogs every day. I like to um, go to the beach. I like to spend time on my boat. Um, I like to go to um, go south in the winter because I live in the northern part of the United States in Rhode Island. So um, it's cold here in the winter. So I like to get down south where it's warm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> Spend time with my family and my friends. So what hobbies, if you had more time and time wasn't an issue, would you enjoy or would you want to explore more? Um, I'm pretty much um, really happy with the ones that I have. I like to watch some shows on streaming video. I like to... Uh, you know, spend time on the boat in the summer, sit at the beach. I get to do pretty much what I want to do, which is nice. Um, so yeah, yeah, I don't really have anything that I'm longing to do that I'm, that I haven't done. (laughs) So this is when I ask everyone, because, uh, one of the myths about authors is that we are all secretly crafters. So are you somebody who likes crafts and nope, (laughs) <laughs> well that was uh, a big answer a crafty bone in my entire body my daughter and my husband got all of that <laughs> well that's cute I mean at least she passed it on in some shape or form no so. my husband got all of the crafty genes and he gave them to my our daughter is very crafty I got none so my last question of the day is what is your favorite place to curl up in during the day is it like your garden a cafe reader's nook where do you go um I write on my sofa. <laughs> I don't know. It's to read when you're just reading. Oh, to read? Um, probably in bed. <laughs> I'm the same. Like, everyone thinks it's so weird that I like to read in the bath. No, I do in bed. Of, yeah, and, and read in bed. So yeah, and that's I like my the bath, two areas. Too. Yeah. I like the bath, too. I mean, I don't have any problem. I like, do like a good bath. But yeah, I um, I like to read in bed. <laughs> I must admit, it, it's it's calming, I think, and it almost sort of like prepares you for sleep. So for a little bit of fun at the end of this, we always do a word game. So I will give you a choice of words, or I will read you some words, and you just say the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Okay. Chocolate. Favorite thing. Caramel. Um, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I say caramel, somebody says sweeties or something. I don't. I don't. I don't have anything for that. Butterfingers. Love them. <laughs> Custard creams. Nope. <laughs> That's an English biscuit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cheesecake. Love it. Cookies. Love them. Swirls. Not a thing here. You don't get pastry swirls? Mm-mm. Wow. Did not know that. And if we do, so- that's not what they're called. So I don't know. Maybe you mean Danish? 
Yeah, it might be because, like, in certain areas of the world, they're either cinnamon swirls or they're Danishes. So I suppose, yeah. Um, yeah, I like Danish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cinnamon. Take or leave. Coffee. Love. Yep, same. I'm terrible. So to close this, I um I want to give you the chance to tell people about the books that you're about to release and the ones that you're most excited about. And then, uh, yeah, we'll be back with the readers next week. Yeah, so I've got um, Resilience After Dark, which is the 25th Ganson Island story. And I will say that the first one, Made for Love, is always free in ebook format. Um, and I've got... Um, a book called State of the Union, which is a Sam and Nick story coming in September. And then I've got the second Wild Widow book, Someone to Hold, coming in November. And all of them are on my website at marieforce.com. And if you go to uh, marieforce.com slash books, you can see a full listing of all of my books. Sounds good. Well, readers, next week we will be back with an even hotter show. Never as hot as How Marie Writes, but we will get there. Let's have some uh, fun, and I shall see you all next week. I you.